In the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some very ancient words from God to his people as we're going to be studying together the last book of the Old Testament, the words of Malachi to God's people. Now, I would venture to guess that this is not a book that you have read recently. And uh, so let me uh, say by words of introduction that rather than burying you with a lot of detail about the background and circumstances that, that, that prompted the writing of this little book, all we really need to know for our purposes of studying over the next several weeks is that a prophet by the name of Malachi was commissioned by God with one purpose in mind. And that purpose was to reestablish the standards of excellence amongst God's people. You see, in Malachi's day, God's people were spiritually heading in the wrong direction. Their spiritual commitments, their marriages and family relationships, their, their money management, their morals were all heading in the wrong direction. And so God appointed this courageous, straight-talking guy by the name of Malachi to be his messenger. In fact, Malachi's name in Hebrew literally means my messenger. And so Malachi, God's messenger, came to God's people and challenged them to live up to God's standards in the way they were living their life. Now, this morning, we begin with Malachi chapter one. And and as we do, I want to say that this is a passage of God's word that has rocked the world of more than a few people who have read it and who understand what it is that Malachi is saying. I know that a number of years ago when I was studying this little book, uh, it rocked my world when I came to understand the implications of what Malachi is saying in it. And to help us understand the context of what we're about to read this morning, we need to know that hundreds of years before Malachi wrote what he did, God had given instructions to his people that whenever they were to bring a lamb to the temple as an offering to God, they should walk through their herds and they should find the very best lamb, the, the blue ribbon lamb, so to speak, the one that would bring the most money at the marketplace if they were ever going to sell that lamb. God was saying to his people, make an excellent worship offering when you make one. The standard that I'm giving you is that when you worship me, he's saying, you are to make an excellent worship offering to me. Now, part of the reason why, why God instructed his people to do this, to bring their best lamb, was because he knew that, that hundreds of years after giving these instructions, he was going to be sending his son Jesus into the world to be a sacrifice for our sins. And so God, you see, knew that one day he was going to give his best lamb. All the way back in the Old Testament sacrificial system, God was predicting that. He was foretelling that. And so he was telling his people that, hey, the standard for lambs is very high. You give me your best, he says, because I'm going to give my best for you. Now, for a time, God's people honored that standard of excellence, and, and they brought their prized lambs to the temple to offer God. But, but then came Malachi's day, and uh, listen to what Malachi says was happening in that day and, and what God's response is to it. And Malachi sets the whole thing up by saying to them uh, that God loves you. He, he reminds them early on, right from the beginning of what he writes, of God's love for them, how God deeply loves them. Look at Malachi 1, verses 1 through 5 with me. This is a message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. I have loved you deeply, says the Lord. 
But you retort, really? How have you loved us? And the Lord replies, I showed my love for you by loving your ancestor, Jacob. Yet Esau was Jacob's brother, and I rejected Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned Esau's inheritance into a desert for jackals. And and Esau's descendants in Edom may say, we've been shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may try to rebuild, but I will demolish them again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness, and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. And when you see the destruction for yourselves, you will truly say, Truly, the Lord's great power reaches far beyond our borders. You see, what God is saying here is that he loves his people. He's telling his people that he loved them. And he says, how I show you my love is that I protect you from your enemies. I destroy your enemies. I am protecting you. And then he goes on to address how they have treated him poorly in return. Listen to what he says next in verse 6. He says, the Lord Almighty says to the priests, A son offers his father and a servant respects his master. I am your father and master, but where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have despised my name. But you ask, how have we ever despised your name? You have despised my name name by offering defiled sacrifices on the altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how he is pleased, says the Lord Almighty. And then the prophet says this, go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? Asks the Lord Almighty. I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not at all pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will not accept your offerings. Do you get the picture of what's going on here? Do do we see how, how God's people are responding to God's love for them by searching their flocks and 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 what they come up with is not what God says. I mean, God is calling upon them to identify the very best animals to bring to the temple for the offering. And they are doing precisely the opposite. When sacrifice time comes, they begrudgingly walk around their herds. And and you know what they're looking for? Malachi is saying they're looking for the worthless lamb. The lamb that is blind or crippled or, or maybe even one that is ready to keel over and die. And they say, there's one we don't need. We can't make any money at the market with that one. There's the worst one in the herd. And they pick it up, Malachi says, and they place it on the altar before God and say, here's your worship offering, God. Hope you like it. And Malachi, who is sent by God, says, hey, people, God doesn't like it. He really doesn't. In fact, the whole deal offends him to the point where where Malachi says in this text, better that you bring no lamb at all than you bring a blemished one. Better that you, you shut the doors of the temple, he says, 
before you try that stunt again. And then through Malachi, God goes on to point out that that even people in other nations who, who don't personally know God or personally have a relationship with him have more respect for him than his own people. Look at verses 11 through 14. He says, but my name is honored by people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying, it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord and and you turn up your noses at his commands, says the Lord Almighty. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and mutilated and crippled and sick presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these? Asked the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but but then sacrifices a, a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is feared among the nations. I don't know about you, but I read it like a wow. Malachi is a pretty crusty guy. I mean, he does not mince words as he delivers this message from God to his people. You know, some time ago, I, I was reading something that had been written by another pastor who talked about how his world was rocked uh, by this first chapter of Malachi. Uh, as he said, when he really read it for the first time and understood its implications, he said at that time he was living a life where his whole spiritual game was trying to figure out how to do the barest minimum for God without incurring God's displeasure. He said it was the same thing he said I had done in my academic life. As, as he said, I, I, I had spent my years in school always trying to figure out how to do the least amount of study well, you know, without falling off the honor roll. But speaking about doing this spiritually, this is what he said. And, and, and as we listen to this, see if it doesn't resonate sometimes with maybe what you and I have done at times to God. He writes this. You know, at the time in my life when I read this, it never even dawned on me to give God my best. All I'd ever done was give God the leftovers, leftover time, leftover energy, leftover talents, leftover money, and leftover love. That's all I'd ever done. And you know what's even scarier? It never even occurred to me that giving God my leftovers might be offensive to him. In my youthful arrogance, I thought that God would be tickled pink by any scrap of attention or any little bone of honor that I would pitch his way. Well, the day I read this passage, I just about had the wind knocked out of me because I heard God say so clearly, I'd rather you give me nothing at all than lob a leftover to me when it is convenient to you. I don't want your scraps. I don't want your bones. I want your best or nothing at all. Talk about a wake-up call. And, and maybe as we've heard what this guy's written and we've heard the words of Malachi, maybe this is a wake-up call to you and to me today as well. 
Because maybe we who live in our Western American culture uh, find ourselves as, as we hear this, looking at our own lives and, and, and thinking to ourselves, I, I wonder if I'm not living the way people in Malachi's day lived. I, I wonder, am I really giving God my best spiritually? Am I living a life that's totally committed to him? Am I giving him the best of my sincere affection? Am I living a life where where I'm offering back to God here through his ministry in the church and in the world that the best of, of, of my time and my talents and my skills and my abilities? Or do I find myself at times simply lobbing to God the leftovers, the scraps, the bones, of my commitment, my affection, my time and talents, when God all the while is asking me to give him his best. Because as we're going to celebrate in a few moments, he gave his best for us. And think about it. He did give us his best, isn't it? I mean, mean, think think of the whole concept of divine excellence and, and how God has given us his best. Go all the way back to the beginning where God demonstrated divine excellence at the time of creation. I I mean, by any standard, God did a phenomenal job, didn't he, when he created the world? I mean, think about it. Go go spend a a morning in in the mountains or an afternoon by the seashore, an evening by the stars, and, and give God a grade. How did he do? Go to the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, the Pacific Northwest, the Rockies, or or even just go a few miles from here into the heart of the Flint Hills and give God a grade, a poor, a fair, a good, an excellent. What do you give him? We better give him an excellent. And then after that, think about this God who who created human beings. Not only did he create the world, he creates human beings, men and women, uh, with bodies and minds and souls, marvelously complex creatures, with physical and emotional and spiritual capabilities that just boggle the imagination. Excellent. <laughs> we got to give God an excellent for that. And then think about how these magnificent human beings, pretty early on in the story, we, we shook our fist at God and we rebelled against him and we walked away from him. And, and instead of stomping out on us in our rebellion, God demonstrates excellent forbearance. Excellent patience. And he keeps on loving us and working with us through the centuries and through the millennia. I mean, think about it. He still wants to be in relationship with us as his people. So much so that when people throughout the Old Testament years kept rebelling against him and turning their backs on him and sinning against him time and time again, finally we get to the New Testament and read that when the time was right, God gave us his absolute best. In the sending of his only begotten son, as John 3 says, Jesus, who who lived an excellent life and showed us how to live, who, who lived a life of excellence in his love for others. I mean, no one has ever loved anyone as Jesus has. And not only that, he lived an excellent life as he was perfect. He he lived a life of sinless perfection. And, And when it came time, To do so, because of that, Jesus was able to pay for the consequences of your sin and mine so that we could be in a right relationship with God when we invite Christ to come into our life and forgive us of our sin when we trust Him in faith. That He is the Son of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. 
And how did Jesus do that? He did that by dying an excellent death. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Jesus put on a clinic when he died. Here he was beaten and carrying his own cross, his own instrument of execution. And he does so without anger or bitterness or malice and cursing toward those who who are unjustly torturing him and taking his life from him. And as they pound the nails into his hands and into his feet, he is saying, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this charge against them because they don't know what they are doing. They really don't realize who it is that they are killing. Then the scripture tells us as he's dying and hanging there on the cross in agony, all the while he makes arrangements for his mother's well-being when he's gone. And he does that while making the ultimate arrangement for your redemption and mine, taking on himself your sin and mine and paying the debt of that sin and that punishment, that eternal punishment that we deserve, but don't have to pay. Because he died to pay the debt he did not owe. So that we would not have to pay that debt we could not pay. And then he said, it's finished. It's finished. He died an excellent death. And he lived an excellent life as he died voluntarily for a cause. And you are that cause. And I am that cause. And of course, then after he died, he pulls off an excellent resurrection, doesn't he? I mean, he, he rises from the grave three days later and, and, and he shows himself to 500 people before he takes what I like to call the express elevator home to his father in heaven. Yeah. And we don't talk about that much, do we? But, but what an excellent ascension. I mean... We don't talk much about it, but, but hey, let us try that sometime, you know? And, and then after he goes back to heaven, he, he, he sends his Holy Spirit to live in our lives so that we would not have to live according to our own human nature, but we could live according to the nature of God within us. So that as you and I walk through life, we can turn away from the temptation of sin, not on our own power, but through the power of God within us. And we can live lives like Jesus lived, where we can be the presence of Christ here on earth and express love to a loved, starved world. And as we do that, then we go through life and we don't have to live without meaning or purpose. And we have this faith family that we belong to that can encourage us. And when life is over here on this earth, we get to go be with him in heaven for eternity. You see, the scripture is telling us that even now, Jesus is preparing an excellent place for all of us who put our faith and our trust in him as our, our Lord and Savior. First Corinthians 2, 9 says, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And between here and there, before that time when we die, Jesus says he gives us an excellent life that we can live. John 10, 10, those words that Rashida Washington spoke about last week in her sermon where, where she talked about Jesus's words, where, where Jesus says the thief's purpose. In other words, the evil one, Satan's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. But my purpose, he says, is to give you life 
and give it in all its fullness. Friends, if you and I do an excellent assessment of the divine activity of God, how can we not then understand what's going on there at the end of Revelation, at the end of the story, at the end of the Bible, where John in that great vision says that one day we who are his people are going to join with all of the angels of heaven and we are going to stand face to face before God and we are going to cry out to him, worthy, worthy. In other words, excellent, excellent. Are you, oh God, the Lamb of God who sits on the throne and who takes away the sins of the world? But folks, that's in the future. That's what we have to look forward to. What about the now? What about the here and now as we live life on earth? Well, let's go back to Malachi chapter 1 where the prophet is asking the people of his day some simple questions. And it is, hey, how should God's people then respond to God's excellent activity? What kind of response? uh, What kind of worship offering do we bring to an excellent God? You know what Malachi says? He says, hint, hint, a blemished lamb is not the right answer. He says, don't you and I bring the wrong kind of sacrifice to the one who gave his best for us? Don't do it. Because he said, God is not going to take our leftovers, our scraps, our bones. God is not going to accept that at all. You know, friends, sooner or later, we've got to sort this thing out for ourselves, don't we? And sooner or later, we've got to ask ourselves, as Malachi is asking us today, what kind of lamb are we bringing to God these days? What kind of lamb are we bringing? Are we bringing our very best for the one who has given his very best for us? Sooner or later, we've got to be asking ourselves, how are we living our life? Is is our faith just simply a system of belief? Or is it a life-changing, life-transforming relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Is it a life where we are giving God our best spiritually? Where we're living life totally committed to Him? where we're living a life offering back to Him our sincere affection, where we're living a life where we offer to Him and His ministry in the church and in the world the best of our talents and abilities and skills, the best of our time and our treasure. And as we ask ourselves these questions this morning, I just want to briefly close with some application points to this and, and ask us, what what is what does this mean? And if you're taking message notes and you're filling in the blanks, you're following along, uh, would you write that word commitment there? Because I think that what this means is we read Malachi chapter 1 this morning and apply it to our life is it's becoming clear that you and I have got to be, be making an excellent commitment back to God. To the God who, who stopped at nothing and paid the ultimate price in His commitment to us. I mean, when we think about it, Anything short of a total commitment is a mockery of what he did for you and for me. And so as we hear these words of Malachi, can we, 
Can we honestly say in our hearts to God today, God, God, after all you did for me, there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. I take the limits and the conditions off my commitment to you. I give you my life and I give you my time. I will do your bidding, whatever it is. I will obey your will and, and, and how you want me to live my life for you. I will go where you ask me to go, O oh Lord. I will say yes to the promptings of your spirit as I understand them. I will live in an unconditional commitment even if it costs me everything. No scraps, God. No bones. No leftovers. My best for you. Because you gave your best for me. And then secondly, I think Malachi would say to us today that, that we need to learn to love God more each day. To learn to offer him more and more a heart of sincere affection. And, and I know maybe... Some of this is uncharted waters for some of you as you maybe didn't grow up in a family where there was a lot of love or affection that was expressed. Or maybe some of you are novices at giving and receiving love. But, but if you are, this text and other texts in the scripture says that, that God loves you and me with a heartfelt affection. And when it is that, that we feel that personal and awesome and overwhelming love of God for us. How do we respond to him? Do we say, way to go, God? You know, two thumbs up, God. Way to go. Awesome. I moved. And then go back to business as usual. Can we dare do that? Or would it be better if you and I moved out of our comfort zones to experiment with expressions of affection that maybe we've never done before. Maybe it starts with writing a letter to God and, and saying something simple like, Dear God, I, I can't seem to express loving feelings well, but I sure want to try in my relationship with you. So I ask you to help me figure out ways to show you in my heart, to show you that I love you and am overwhelmed with your love for me. Maybe we start there and we sign it. Your son your daughter, and put your name to it. Or maybe another way to express our heartfelt expression of love toward God is to start thinking about God more during the day. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, a covenant pastor over in the Kansas City area, and, and he sets the alarm on his cell phone uh, to vibrate at the top of every hour of each day to remind him to stop what he's doing for just a moment every hour and to lift his heart to heaven and to say, thank you, God for your love and your grace and your mercy. Or maybe if you're not real poetic, I'm not one who's real poetic. I don't write poetry, but, but if you don't, maybe instead we can read poetry back to God as we can turn to the Psalms, the Old Testament poetry to God. And we can take some of those Psalms that express how we feel. And in a quiet time when we're alone with God, we read that verbally back to him. Or maybe you do something I'd be, been doing for a while now and i gotta tell you it was a real awkward at first but but why not you know buy some worship music on a cd and and as you drive or as you're alone at home why not crank it up and, and sing back to god you know he doesn't say you gotta have a voice the psalmist just says make a joyful noise to the lord you know but have you ever sung to god privately in that way or maybe another way to express 
love to God is when we're in a conversation with people and, and they're speaking disrespectfully about God or, or taking his name in vain, why not gently, not obnoxiously, but very lovingly and gently simply say, you know, I, for one, don't agree with what you're saying about God because, because I've found that God loves me and I'm trying to love him back. I, I don't know what expressions of affection these and coming to church on Sunday morning and, and, and stretching ourselves in, in our expression of affection to God. I, I don't know what you need to do. But I do know that when you and I understand the quality of God's love for us, don't we just want to give back to him the very best of our affection and love to him? And along with giving an excellent commitment and and a sincere affection back to Him, thirdly, are you and I then willing to give back to God and His work in the church and in the world the best of our abilities, the best of our skills, the best of our talents and time? And not just give Him our leftovers when we've got, you know, when there isn't some other activity out there that we want to be part of and do. Now, now as I say this, I got to honestly say to you, I, I know that that very few of you who are here in this worship center this morning are going to be asked by God to leave the marketplace and and what you do and go into full-time vocational Christian ministry as God has asked some of us to do. Most of you are going to stay right where you are in the marketplace and and, and hopefully be used by God to have an impact there in your place of work or, or in the school that you attend by sharing with others the love of Jesus. But But wherever we are, whether we're in the marketplace or at school, God is asking you through Malachi, are you giving him your best? Are you investing the best of your time and your skills and your talents and your abilities? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ, wonderfully disguised as whatever you do, rather than doing what you do and disguising from others that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you and I giving him our very best? Or are we mostly about doing our own thing? You know, all too often, Christians take the best God-given time and talents and abilities, and we pour them into our professions. We pour them into uh, our careers. We pour them into our schoolwork or sports or the arts. And all that stuff's good. God's given it to us as a blessing. He wants us to do well in those things. But then sometimes we put all of our attention there. And then we find ourselves reluctantly taking a scrap of what's left over and giving it to God. And through Malachi, God is saying to you and to me today, don't give God a blemished offering. Friends, I... I got to be honest with you this morning. I'm not trying to be hard on us. But I'm just trying to show us the implications of of what God is saying to us today through his messenger, Malachi. For he's saying, here's the standard. Here's the standard. Your best, your best commitment, your best affection, your best contribution of, of skills and talents. And yes, your best, God is saying for me. The one who has never given anything but his best for you and for me. 
And you know, in reality, that too is what God is saying to us in this communion meal. For this communion meal reminds us that God loves us so much that He gave the best that He had to give. He gave His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's what we celebrate today, isn't it? That's what we remember. But do you and I realize today that that along with that celebration, God is asking us a question today? And the question He is asking you and me as we celebrate this meal is what are you giving Him in return? What are you and I giving Him in return? The Scripture tells us that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the night before He went to the cross, He celebrated that Passover meal with His disciples, His followers. And there He took the Passover bread and He offered the traditional Passover blessing on that bread. And then He applied what was going on to Himself when He said, This is My body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And then further along in the supper, Jesus took the third cup of wine. The redemption cup, as it was called. The cup that reminded God's people of God's redemption on their lives, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus once again offered the traditional Passover blessing on that cup. And then he applied this cup to himself as well as to you and to me. As he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Receive it. Drink all of it, he said. And what Jesus was doing was he was asking that question, what are you going to give me in return? As what Jesus was doing in that day was taking the bridal imagery that all of them were familiar with in that culture. For you see, in that day, when a man loved a woman, he and his father would go to the home of that prospective bride. And the two fathers would work out or would negotiate the bride price. And when they settled on the price, the father of that prospective groom would take a pitcher of wine. He would pour it into the cup. He would hand it to his son. And his son would hand it to his prospective bride and say to her, my life for you. In that moment, she had a decision to make. And that decision was that she could either reject that cup and not drink it and reject him. Or she could take that cup and she could drink it all saying to him, I receive from you your life that you give to me. And I give you my life in return. Today, as you and I celebrate this communion meal, Jesus is saying to you and to me, I love you. I've given my best for you, my life. Will you give your best to me and be my spiritual bride?
Will you give me your life in return?